Hello, how are we all? Do you want to reel in your conversations? Um, lovely to be with you. I love the festoons at the six. Look at aren't they lovely? It's like little stars in the sky. Um, lovely to be with you all. If you've not met before, my name is Jessica. I'm married to Ed, um, and I'm on the team here at St. Matt's. Usually, you find me in the morning down in the hall with the kids or leading the younger youth stuff. And it is wonderful to have um, abandoned my parenting duties to my mother and to be with you here tonight to continue to talk about not being the Sunday Club but being a group of people who are committed to Jesus in every area of our life. Mac uh, just mentioned he spoke about baptism last week, and um, you can catch up with that on the podcast if you missed it. And this week, we're going to look at a passage from the book of Acts and talk about being generous. I've titled my talk today, One Heart, One Mind, if you're the kind of person who likes to take notes like to have a little title at the top. So would you like to jump with me to Acts 4? Um, We are 32 to 37. I really struggled to read this out this morning. For those of you who are here, I don't know what happened, Um, but I'm going to give it another go. Um, Grab your Bibles, grab your phones. It's also going to come up on the screens. Here we go. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, bought the money from the sales and put, them at the, put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from, Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, bought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Let's just pray before we begin. Lord, I pray you speak to us tonight. Will you give us a heart for the people of Exeter? Will you help us to tackle this um, topic of generosity with open hearts and open minds to you today? And I thank you that we won the cricket. Amen. (laughs) January's so psyched. Right, um, generosity. I wonder what generosity means to you. It could be that you like to um, give the bigger part of the cake to your friend when you're splitting it at the common beaver and that kind of like, oh, no, no, you go for it. No, you go for it kind of way. Is that generosity? Is it folding your partner's pants? Is it giving time to serve in the kids' groups or youth groups or at the food bank? Is generosity all about money for you? The only way you can be generous is if you're financially supporting someone or something. I love to be generous. Um, And my way of being generous is spontaneous gifts of love. And um, we have a wonderful colleague who was having a bit of a rubbish week with some bin-related dramas between the external bookers and the staff team here at St. Matt's. So I made her this. Oh, a tiny bin! I was so proud of it. Um, It's got bin puns on the outside, like you are um, literally amazing. Yeah, thank you. That was a good groan. Um, um, And I filled it. I didn't fill it with rubbish. Nope. I filled it with Prosecco and her favorite coffee sachets and her favorite chocolate. And I was, like I said, just going to give her a bag with this stuff in. And then I found the tube in our house. Ed had ordered some posters and all the possibilities of a craft project. The children ate dinner late that day. But look at what I made. I was very excited. Um, So for me, giving gifts 
I love it. I love being generous, generous, general. Love being generous with giving gifts. But like I said, for you, generosity might look very different. You might give time to something close to your heart, supporting a charity, or even here at St. Matt's. Whatever generosity means for you, though, it's what unites us with the early church. They were huge advocates for generosity. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, Jessica, did you read the same passage as me, though? Because they weren't talking about just giving a nice gift after a bad day. They were talking about selling their homes. Yes, I did read the same passage. I don't have my own home to sell. But if I did, I would probably be a little bit worried. But it's okay. I'm not going to tell you you have to sell your home this evening. We're going to have a little look at the context first before we start rushing all to, out to Stratton Parker to go and put our houses on the market. Some of this stuff was new to me, um, and it helped me put this passage into perspective. Acts 4 happens just after Pentecost, the day the Holy Spirit came down from heaven, and we believe God filled his people with um, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the friend. And there were lots of people in Jerusalem who uh, were already followers of Jesus, but there were loads of people who were coming to hear all about him. And they say at Pentecost, 3,000 people committed to being a follower of him in one day, getting baptized, them and their whole households. Then another day after Peter spoke, 5,000 people became followers of Jesus. And Luke, the author of this book, goes on to say that their numbers were added to daily. There were thousands of men, women, and children who were coming to know Jesus in a very short period of time. And these people, they wouldn't have all been from Jerusalem or Judea. They'd have been traveling in. And the apostles, who were the followers of Jesus, they saw a need, and they wanted to share the gospel, but not just say, here, this is the message. No, they wanted to act. And they wanted to act um, generously with an attitude of recognizing that all things belong to God, and God has provided for them. So they wanted to give back to God. The American theologian puts it like this. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the Greek here does not mean that everybody sold their property at once. Rather, from time to time, this was done as the Lord brought need to their attention. And I found this really helpful um, when I was trying to frame this passage, not just to gloss over it, because I often find it really uncomfortable about talking about money. I'm running the London Marathon in April, and every time I have to ask someone for a donation, I'm like, so I'm running the marathon, give me money, please and then kind of like run away because I find it really hard to talk about being generous with money. But the disciples certainly taught us about radical generosity. And the first thing I wanted to look at is how we can be generous with the message. The passage starts like this. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy person among them. When I read this, I first hear those lines from Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. Anyone else hear that? Yeah? Yeah? Good. Thank you. Um, the comic books were right. The film was right. I don't know which came first. Um, the apostles were given a task, given a responsibility by Jesus and that was to tell people about the good news of his life, death, and resurrection. And because they were persistent and generous in sharing the message, we are here today. That was the start of the church. 
The point of the church is Jesus. And our vision here at St. Matt's is to love Jesus and transform Exeter. It might seem like just a, a nice, simple, easy tagline that rolls off the tongue, but essentially we are being asked to do the same thing. Asked to do the same task as the apostles all those years ago. To follow Jesus with all our hearts and our lives. And from there we will see Exeter transformed. We're going to see fewer breakdowns in marriages. We're going to see reoffending rates lowered, our care system emptied, revivals in our schools and our workplaces and our sports team. We're called to be generous with this message because being needy is not always about lacking physical possessions. It can be about spiritual neediness as well. People needing to know the good news that Jesus brings. We are not the Sunday club. We are to share this message with those we know and love and with those we don't know and find it really hard to love. But it's not in our own strength. The second sentence is so key. God's grace was powerfully at work in them. We can know that whenever we share the gospel, whenever we offer to pray for our friends, whenever we take that bold step to invite someone to week three of Alpha, that God goes with us. We are doing it in his strength. He's the one who does the work. We are just the messengers. The Greek word for grace here in this passage is translated as charis. Um, great name. I think we've got charis in the building. Um, and it means undeserved favor and grace. Not just grace, undeserved favor and grace. When we share the good news of Jesus, we have God's charis upon us for those who we speak to. We're called to share this message generously. And I wonder how we can do that this week. The next thing I want to talk about is generous and united. I wonder when you last felt like you were really united around something. Maybe you were watching your favorite sports team play and you were in the thick of the fans, united for the goal of winning like me with the cricket this morning during my sermon. I was so excited to see those last three wickets fall. Maybe it was when you and your colleague really worked together and smashed a project out the park. Maybe it was when you and your housemates worked on that pile of washing up. It's great to be united. Recently, Ed and I had a super constructive conversation um, which led to great marital unity around the shoe storage in our porch. Ikea, so great. This passage begins with the line, all believers were in one heart and mind. I know that here today, there will be many opinions and views held by our congregation. And I'm not going to go into the sticky issues facing the church, but I'm going to acknowledge that I'm sure there are some things we are not all united on. But the one thing that we are called to be united on is Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. When we start from this point, we remember that that is what unites us. We are able to be generous with each, with each other and the views that we each hold. Ed and I worked with Nicky Gumbel, the leader of HDB Church, for many years in London, and he used to say this about unity. If you pursue unity, you don't end up with very much. If you pursue Jesus, you always end up with unity. I've recently been praying for two specific families to come to church, and I'm so excited that one of those families has come to church. But the thing that I really want them to know when they walk in through the building is not how great the coffee is or how wonderful the donuts and the pastries are or how beautiful the twinkly lights are, 
but it is that we are a community who are united in heart and mind around Jesus. And we choose to follow him and walk with him in every area of our lives. In Matthew, Jesus taught us this, love the Lord our God with all your heart and soul and mind. Love our neighbors as ourselves. I know that might for some of us seem like the bread and butter of our faith, but how often do we remember those two commandments? For the disciples in Acts, loving their neighbor meant for some of them they were going to sell their possessions and give those to the needy. I wonder what that looks like for us today. And I'm not going to go and tell you to sell your house. But how do you love your neighbor? In the early church, um, this passage shows that they loved by what they did. And I wonder what you're doing for those in need around you. What do you have that you could help those with less? It doesn't need to be financially, although it might be. And today you might feel God stir up in you um, to be generous with your money, which can be a scary and wonderfully exciting thing. But my point is that we all have something we can be generous with that will unite you around the message Jesus taught of loving your neighbor. The miracle that these early church Christians experienced is not one of God opening the heavens and just filling their pockets with gold. It was a miracle of community, of Jesus followers, who united by sharing wealth and poverty so that none might be truly poor. It's the miracle of generosity inspired by divine generosity. It's a miracle of agape love, love that focuses on the need of the other person rather than one's own need. And finally, I'm encouraged by this passage to be generous in encouragement. At the end of the passage, we meet a man called Joseph, who, was the, who the apostles called Barnabas. And Barnabas means son of encouragement. Barnabas went on to travel with Paul, who wrote a lot of the letters in the New Testament of the Bible. And if you were here last time I spoke, I talked a little bit about names in the Bible and how I love that they often get given new names from different attributes of their personalities. Sarah became Sarah, Abraham became Abraham, Simon became Peter, Joseph became Barnabas, meaning the encourager. And last week, as Mac mentioned, I love that we baptized George Aslan a name that my hope and my prayer for him is that he will grow into being a roaring lion for the last, the least, and the lost. If you haven't read the Chronicles of Narnia, go and do that. You'll understand who Aslan then is. Ed and I named our girls Phoebe and Zoe. Phoebe means bright and shining. Zoe means life in all its fullness. And if you know them, they certainly live up to those things. And I love that. I love that I can look at them and think that God has given them those names and I'm going to see them change the kingdom and grow the kingdom by being bright and shining and full of life. So why am I waffling on about names? Well, I wonder what names you may have given yourself in the past or names other people might have given you. I often think that we carry names that are not encouraging or building up and hold on much more tightly to those than any positive praise we may well receive. When I was in year nine at school, I was not a very confident teenager. I was um, new to the school that we'd just moved to because of my mum's um, new job. I had braces. I was the vicar's kid. 
I didn't uh, really know what makeup was. I was coming from an all-girls school where that was not allowed, uh, to a mixed school where everyone seemed to wear makeup, and it was quite intimidating. I didn't then nor now wear cool clothes. Um, and my brother was the autistic boy in year seven who was often causing a fuss, and I tried my hardest to avoid, but knew I should be supporting. I generally didn't really believe in myself. One day, a group of boys um, cornered me in the corridor, and they started coming up with different names to call me, unpleasant things to say about my appearance. And what's really interesting is the one that stuck with me was um, possibly the most unimaginative name-calling um, I've ever heard, but it was Sheephead because of my blonde, curly hair. Um, and I think it stuck with me because I was so sad. Um, it, my hair was something that I loved. I loved my blonde, curly hair. And as a child, I thanked God for it. Um, you know, when you kind of, you know, you're told to say your thank yous, I'm like, oh, thank you, God, for my hair. Um, the little things you pray for as a child. But genuinely, I loved my blonde, curly hair. And it's amazing how, as a grown-up of 35, it seems I'm still carrying the wounds of that 14-year-old girl in the school corridors. I've recently been battling a lot with self-esteem, doubting my abilities of a, as a wife, a mother, and a daughter of God. Things have triggered me to believe those words spoken over me by those boys all those years ago, that I'm unattractive, incapable, less than others around me. And it's really got me thinking about how we can be quite an encouragement-light culture. I don't think we're always good at calling out the amazing things and the gold in people around us. We see so many of our young people and students and even grown-ups here in the room struggling with mental health illnesses like depression and anxiety, low self-esteem issues, battling with addiction. And I'm not saying that nice words are going to fix all of that but we're called to be encouragers. I don't know if any of you have ever read um, any of the Max Lucado books. Um, it's hard to see because I can't really see you, but um, they're beautiful books um, for uh, children. And um, they are about um, the Wemmicks who live in Wemmickville. They're little wooden creatures that have been carved by the woodcarver Eli. And um, they're a little bit like the Narnia stories, and the Eli is a representative of the maker, and the Wemmicks are his people. And in this book, You Are Special, um, you meet a little Wemmick called Punchinello. They are like excellent names, very weird. Wemmicks, Punchinello, roll with me here, though. And in the start of the book, you meet all of these little Wemmicks, and they go around, and if you do something good, you get given a star. If you do something um, bad, you get given a dot. And little Punchinello is covered in dots, He's just covered head to toe in dots. And then he meets a Wemmick who has no stars and no dots. And he's like, I don't understand. How do you not have anything? And she says, well, I go and spend time with my maker, Eli. You should go and spend time with him. And I'm just going to read you a little bit from this book. Eli stooped down and picked him up. Hmm, the maker spoke thoughtfully. Looks like you've been given some bad marks. I didn't mean to, Eli. I really tried Oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, my child. I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No, and you shouldn't either. Who are they to give stars or dots? They're Wemmicks, just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think, and I think you are very special. 
Punchinello laughed. Me, special? Why I can't walk fast, I can't jump, my paint is peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinello, put a hand on those small wooden shoulders and spoke very slowly. Because you are mine. That's why you matter to me. Like I said, I've been really struggling with my very own self-esteem, and I sit reading these books to my children in bed, and I want them to truly know that it doesn't matter what mummy thinks, it doesn't matter what the children think around them in school, they shouldn't be giving each other those dots. It's about God and what he thinks of each one of them. And it might sound a little bit like I'm contradicting myself by saying, but we can encourage each other. I'm not saying let's go and stick stars on one another. That's probably not going to help. But I think the point is we want people to see Jesus, to look to their maker, to encourage them towards God. Because when we know the truth of who made us, we can be more confident in our identity as chosen children of God. I want us to be a church who are known for loving and encouraging the dads who are doing such a great job at parenting, the women who are running their own businesses, the students and the youth who are going to be the next leaders of our governments, those who understand technology because I don't. We should support them. You get the picture, right? We should be a community of people who cheer each other on, to be the wind at their back, not the spit in their face, as Gloria Pritchard says. I look at my own life and I see how easily I slip into this world of comparison of myself, my marriage, my faith, my parenting. And my encouragement to us is to be countercultural to this. How can we be different? How can we learn from those early disciples by flooding our lives with encouragement? Now, I don't actually know, and it's not noted in the passage, what um, encouragement Barnabas offers to get his new name. But I wonder if it is still something we can all learn from today, that being generous with encouragement is a very Christ-like thing to do. It would be nice if our workplaces, our schools, our halls of residence, our sports teams were filled with Barnabases and Barnabettes, because that is the outworking of the love of Jesus One of the ways we're going to see Exeter transformed for being known as a loving and encouraging community. So I wonder this week how you're going to be generous with the message of Jesus. Who might you share it with? How are you going to be bold in your friendships with the news that we have this message of Jesus? How are you going to love God and love others? What might he be calling you to do? And how finally can you be generous with encouragement like Barnabas this week? How can you be kind to yourself and others around you? How can you walk in the truth that your name is written on the palm of God's hands? You might not feel like it. You might think you've done it wrong. But you are a son or daughter of the King of Kings, known and loved. How can you encourage others around you? Let's be a countercultural church a community who build up others and don't pull them down. I'm going to finish with my favorite scripture before we spend some time uh, meeting with God today. It's from Hebrews 12, and it sort of sums up, I think, what I've been trying to say today. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen. If you'd like to stand, we're going to pray together.